Ready for a gut check? Stick around. Let's talk about it. Houston, we have a problem. Habemos papan. Podcasting from a parking lot in the Woodlands, Texas, it's the Catholic Hack with Joe McLean. Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all, so that sins may be forgiven. The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Do this in memory of Welcome back to the Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean. This is episode number 47. Can you believe that? We are three episodes away from number 50. I just can't even fathom that there's been that many podcasts. What a blessing. So praise God and amen for that. Well, today we finish our interview with Tarek Saab about Gut Check, his new book on his journey through faith and life. And uh, you know, Tarek recently spoke at the Cincinnati Men's Conference And that was a real blessing because he has a wonderful message to share with men. And he got to do that. And you can actually listen to his message right online. It's streaming online on the Cincinnati Men's Conference webpage, which is www.thecall.org. So check that out. You can also listen to Father Philip Chavez's talk because he was also a speaker at the Cincinnati Men's Conference. Father Philip Chavez will be a guest on this podcast coming this Friday when I'll be interviewing him. So look for that podcast coming up in the very near future. We've also got Jeff Cavins. We've got Steve Bowman from That Man Is You. We've got Patrick Madrid coming your way. We've got Kimberly Hahn coming your way. So we have some really exciting material I still have to share with you. Deborah Burke, who is a a, uh, a mom who's written a children's book, a series of children's books. I, I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago. I still have yet to put that out, as well as Greg and Jennifer Willits from the Rosary Army. So as you can tell, we've been very busy here on the podcast, and we have a lot of exciting material to share with you. Still have yet to get to the Bible study with SalvationHistory.com. Many of you have told me that you've already started the Bible study, and all the responses I've received have been very positive. You guys love that Bible study, and I don't blame you because it really is that fantastic. I want everybody to enjoy that material. It's www.salvationhistory.com, so please check that out. And I do promise you, I give you my word, we are going to do that Bible study on this podcast. Trust me on that. Just bear with me as we as we work our way through Lent here and into the Easter season. How has your Lent been going? How has your sacrifices been going? Did you take my advice at the outset of Lent? Have you been offering up sacrifices for very specific people? Have you tried things like putting a pebble in your shoe and walking on it during the day? How about sleeping on the floor once a week? That's right, sleeping on the floor instead of your bed. How about giving up an extra meal one time a week? There are many sacrifices that you can make for someone in particular, but pray very specifically for a very specific person and ask God to work miracles in their lives. And you sit back and see that the the fruit of that journey will be phenomenal. It will blow you away. 
Well, I want to ask you to pray very specifically for Barb in Nebraska. I've been meaning to make this announcement, and it's been... Um, it's just slipped my mind, and I do apologize for that. But uh, Barb in Nebraska, her father passed away a few weeks ago, and we were asked to to ask you t to pray for him, pray for the repose of his soul, pray for, for Barb and her family members as they struggle through this very difficult time. You know, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, O Heavenly Father, we pray and come before you. We, we praise you, O oh dear Father, and we seek your mercy and your glory, and we thank you for the many blessings in our life. We come before you, Father, as the faithful, and ask you to bestow your grace upon Barb and her family. We pray for the repose of, the, of his soul, and we ask that you, that you purge him of all his uncleanliness, and that you bring him home into your loving arms in heaven. And we pray that your graces flow down to their family members, that they might, they might have peace in their hearts, and they might see, see forward instead of backward. We thank you for the grace of this man's life, and we pray for your peace in our hearts. And I seek you, Father. I also want to pray for all the listeners to this podcast and all their struggles that they, that they work through daily. Please, O oh dear Father, have mercy upon them. O oh Christ Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, by the blood on the cross, you have redeemed our souls. May you have mercy upon us, and may you grant grace to these listeners, the ones who struggle through life, through, through whether it's at work or at home, in marriages or, or addictions or whatever it is, lack of faith even. O oh Christ Jesus, our Lord and God, have mercy upon us and give us the grace we need. O come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in us the fire of thy love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, a good friend of mine is riding her bike 183 miles from Houston to Austin, Texas. And she's doing this for a very good cause. She's doing this to, to help raise money and awareness for multiple sclerosis. You know, there is a gentleman at my parish who's in my men's group. His name is Ray Penny. And Ray himself has multiple sclerosis. And he struggles with this debilitating disease. And so this is a phenomenal thing that uh, this, this, this friend, this fellow parishioner is doing. Riding her bicycle 183 miles. I would love to ask you if you could support her in that. I'm going to leave a link on the blog, www.catholichack.com, that you can click on, you can go to, and you can support her in this mission. Your donations are greatly needed for this. It will go to a very good cause. So please, do this as a personal favor to me. Stop by the blog, click on this link, and I'll, I'll make it pretty clear so you can get to it and, and support her in that. It will be critical. God bless you. Well, without further ado, we've got to finish this interview with Tarek Saab. We've got to roll up our sleeves, and we've got to dive deep and get into the truth with Tarek Saab. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! This school when I sit, even just a little bit, I 
I get hit with the power that made the veil in the temple split. When I submit, fall on the floor and the door. Can't get enough, got to come back for some more. Hey, we've got a problem here. Sinner, every unit, hypocrite can benefit in the school. Repent and commit. Roger that. The incense rises up in adoration of the throne. Something happens to my wounded heart from all the love revealed and shown. Bright like Shekinah comes to my aid to persist. The change and sustain the way I think it exists. To feel the bliss because my name is in the book of life's list. That's what happens when you sit in the school of the Eucharist. Mr. Hammond, take her down. Make your depth 150 feet. 10 degree down bubble. 150 feet, 10 degree down bubble. Aye, sir. Dive, dive, dive. You know, that, that was kind of the big turning point, is turning every single moment, every second of my life into a, a prayer to God, a, a, a communication, a dialogue with God. And quite frankly, I mean, it's, that is a very, very difficult thing to do. I mean, I, I struggle with that daily, you know, now, <laughs> and I'm sure I'll struggle with it till the day that I die. Right. It's, but at least I know what I'm working towards. And I get better and better at it right. as, uh, as the years go by. And, you know, it's during this, this chapter here, chapter 11, Gorilla in the Midst is what it's called, that we see you, you know, just like you say, making this sacrifice. You had said earlier in the book that you, or maybe it was in the last podcast when I talked to you, that um, you, went to, you went to the gym in the morning because that was you. That was for you. It wasn't for the, the people you worked for. You know, you did this because it was selfish, out of selfishness. And so in this chapter, you're relinquishing that. That was all for you to now give it all to God. And I really love what you said in this chapter. You said, My morning sacrifice for Christ, my small act of love, also doubled as an offering for my future wife. This, this really hit me right between the eyes. I hadn't, you know, although I, I spend a lot of time, probably more than the average person, thinking about this sort of concept about what it means to be a man and, and, and to be a husband and, and to a wife and, and all of that. But I, because when I was single, <laughs> I was in a different place. You know, I, I was back in your college chapters. That's where I was. You know, I didn't think about this. And this is a message that every, every high school kid, every, you know, young boy needs to hear. He's gearing himself up. I mean, at least those called to the the vocation of marriage. He's even the priest. Even he's gearing himself up for his future wife. His actions today will have a profound effect on that future relationship. That's a thought process that we desperately need to put into the minds of the youth today. Yeah, in fact, that's one of my biggest messages when I speak to the high school audiences. Is just particularly for. Um, for the guys, but, you know, obviously also for the women as well, is just, you know, if your vocation is to marriage, the strong likelihood, 99% of you that are called to marriage, your future wife or your future husband is alive today. They're alive somewhere. Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they're, you know, in Istanbul. Maybe they're somewhere else. But they are alive today. And so every time that um, you, you know, hook up with a girl or, uh, do whatever, it's an act of cheating on your future wife. Wow. That's you know, a profound is... image. i got to tell you, I, I've, I've really never thought of it that way, but it mm-hmm. really is very impactful. I mean, Especially, you know, coming from the Catholic perspective, you know, to, to God, all time is now. To the angels, all time is now. Right. And it's only to humans that we're kind of trapped in this, um, you know, the, this kind of linear right. um, time frame. And uh, we need to look at it as God looks at it, you know, um, all of our life in one moment. And, you know, our future wife is alive today. And 
you know, I, um, that was, you know, in that scene, that's something that I really started thinking a lot about is I need to prepare myself for my future wife. I need to pray for my future wife. Yeah. I need to think about my future wife today and become that man for her, um, you know, uh, even though I'm a bachelor. Yeah, absolutely. And just longing for that future wife too, you know. Just that's longing, a, yeah, that's right. That's in living chaste for her and being a man of virtue for her, and you don't even know her yet. I mean, that to me was again. I just really love that image. I love that thought process. I think that's something that should uh, again be taught to to every high school kid, you know, around, and it should be taught sooner rather than later, junior high even. You know, talking. Right. You know, you want to instill virtue. Well, that's a fantastic virtue. It's the same, you know, virtue we should be instilling in women. You know, saving themselves for for the right man, the man that they were called to marry, you know, the, you know, whether that's Christ himself as a religious life or whether that's a, an actual, you know, man here that they'll be married to, you know, it's the same process and what a fantastic image. And I really picked up on that. And I really thought that that sort of rounded out the rest of the book and leading up to, you know, your wife that, you, that you're going to marry, but you know, you still in this book, you still t take us through a couple of other events, you know, at work and, and um, you have an exchange with a guy, uh, you know. Well, actually, you, you talked about the exchange with a radio host, too. I thought that was pretty good. And then, you know, then the guy at work, too, that he was sort of where you were a few years earlier, or I don't know what the time, kind of time frame elapsed there. But, you know, those two exchanges, you know, were really good to sort of culminate the book and bring us down to the end. But the exchange on, with the radio host, you know, I've been dating Sarah for three weeks and everything was going great. It was perfect. That right there killed me. <laughs> three weeks. <laughs> She's that wasn't one, me. That was, that was just sad. I, I know. It was a guy calling in to the radio show. Yeah. You were just listening to it on your drive into, into work, you know, but that right. just sort of killed me, you know. She was perfect for me. We've been dating three <laughs> weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, that's something I would have done, you know. That's just, you know. It's so typical. And, and the reason why I followed up um, – the uh, the chapter on sacrifice and the, that chapter eleven, which is the grind, that is like the turning point, the uh, really that that moment where you know everything becomes clear for me, you know, and and is reinforced in my actions. I followed that up with this chapter that I call the tempest, where the whole chapter really deals with emotions, and I think it's really important to uh, to look at the role that emotions play in the way that we live our lives because, you know, clearly someone can have the best of intentions, but, you know, when we get upset, when we get depressed, when we're frustrated at work, when, you know, a relationship goes bad, who is the first person that we always blame? Who, who do we lash out at? We lash out at God. We lash out at ourselves. And it has – our emotions have the power to so quickly derail us from – um, our mission in life and our, our goal to focus on salvation, that I wanted to bring that out in, in, um, in, in terms of kind of the, the stories that I kind of lived through during that period to basically make the point that the way that I, you know, dealt with the emotional waves of my life was by keeping my focus on God. And, you know, this story is leading up to my uh, participation on The Apprentice. And people say, well, how did you get through that reality TV experience and, mm -hmm. and the challenges associated with the secular culture and Hollywood and all of this and that? 
And by that point, my emotions were not going to affect my faith. My emotions were not going to affect my relationship to God. I, I refused to allow them to have that impact. And so, right. you know, while others on the show were just dramatically impacted by, you know, looking poorly on TV or, you know, the, the difficulty of um, going back to regular life after being a celebrity for a short period of time, right. uh, while others were affected by that, I remained largely unaffected by it because, you know, I, my faith was rock solid by that point. Hmm. Now, one other uh, thing I, I just want to make mention in uh, Chapter 10, talking about the high school guys again, something I mentioned twice in my book is, uh, both in the beginning and the end, is the question, what role does a woman play in the mm. life of a teenager? Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's a good question to ask because most teenagers, by the time they arrive into high school, you know, they're already hit with pornography. They're already thinking about dating. The hormones are rushing. Right. And women are the primary focus. It's not academics. It's not anything else. And, um, you know, by Chapter 10, the answer to that question is, you know, when you're, when you're a teenager, you are too old to be mothered by your mom in the way that you were when you were eight years old, but you're too young to court seriously. You're too young to date seriously. So what role does a woman play in your life? Well, you're required to protect women. You are the protector of women. Right. And um, you can protect women in something as simple as removing a lustful thought from your mind right. and refusing to look at you know, something bad on the internet or mm. by defending a woman at the cafeteria table who is being objectified by your friends. Right. And that's something that we have to get in our minds. Again, going back to that theme of thinking about our future wife, that woman that's being objectified is some other guy's future wife. Right. That woman who you are kissing, um, making out with, let's say, is someone else's future wife. And so what are you doing to that guy? You're not only impacting yourself, you're impacting the woman, and you're impacting the woman's future husband. You know? And that's something that I, I you know, still deal with. You talk a lot about the images that you saw on the Internet in, in pornography or, or what have you. And for me, it's, it's just you know, during my, uh, my, my college years and beyond, you know, the woman, women that I would make out with and, and hook up with and, and be drunk with or whatever – you know, I still think about those women in shame, not just for the way that I acted in front of them, but for how I led them down a, a pretty bad, sinful path, you know, mm. and how during the final judgment, I'm going to be responsible for those women as well. And so that's something that I think about now, now that I am married and I'm not praying for my future wife, I often pray for the women that I led into sin and try to do right. reparation for that. Now that we're in Lent, you know, try to make extra penances and, and fast for those women too, because I'm still responsible for their souls. Absolutely, and uh, and I think the, the the other side here, the trap that guys like us fall into as well, is there's like you just said, we have to take responsibility, and we have to be men to do that, but too often the devil will whisper into my ear, "Look at the horrible things you've done." And yeah. so we 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 it's we commit yet another sin by allowing that cuz you know we confess our sins and and when God says you are forgiven you are forgiven but so I th I like to draw the distinction that you just made you know that we have to be men and take responsibility and if we're truly sorry if we're truly repentant of the sin that we've committed what we have done to these women then we'll spend a lifetime praying for them 
will spend a lifetime offering up sacrifices, you know, for them and 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 longing for their salvation, and you know, and all of that. And but it's not like, the, it's not the same as we 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 sometimes we allow that that past sin to come back and rehaunt us and revisit us, and and we don't keep it into perspective, and we end up committing yet another sin. Psychologically, I think the the um, impact of praying for those who you've led in sin, not just women, even other men too, for that matter, right. but uh, the, the sins of your past and how they affect others, psychologically the impact is so profound positively um, on, on your psyche because it's not like there's this big black cloud hanging in your past that you can never get rid of constantly haunting you and attacking you. You can turn that black cloud into a smaller black cloud. You can right, turn it into yeah. a white cloud, whatever, you know, by continually right. working on that. Again, you know, I emphasize the point that um, it is only to humans that we are on this like linear timeline, but all time is now to God. All time is now to the angels and, and to those in heaven. And so we need to look at our lives in, in totality from birth till death and, um, and at every given moment um, do the works necessary and make the, the appropriate reparations to uh, affect all, uh, all points on that timeline, you know, from, from mm. the time I first sinned when I was six years old to, you know, uh, till, till the day that I die. I mean, we're, it's, it's a constant fight. And again, all men have an instinct for conflict, at least all healthy men. And that's what, you know, that's what Belloc said, and, and that's what we are living. We are fighting this conflict in every single moment of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I really can attest to that myself. Well, you know, I noticed also when we get into these last chapter, this last chapter, that there was a, a change in your attitude at work as well. And this is sort of capsulized in your conversation with your coworker, you know, who he's complaining about the job and wanting to leave and and you're, ha- you're you're having this conversation, you know, over a coffee, and, and you talked about your long ride into work and how emotional you were. You got into a little tizzy with a, with another guy at the copier, and this this whole experience. But I also sensed there was a change in your attitude at work. Now, can you talk about that just a, a, for a few minutes? Because I think it's important. And this is one of the things I really like about what you can bring to the table, and as far as a witness, because especially down here in Houston, and I'm sure the same is true in every major city like Dallas and everywhere else. So many of us men, good Catholics even, are wrapped up in their jobs. They're wrapped up in what they do for a living, even though they truly believe they're very, you know, they have a lot of faith, they practice their faith, but they can't put down the Blackberry. They can, you know, they, and so this perspective on work, I think, is a very important one. And I thought that was sort of, you know, brought out in this conversation. Can you talk about that? Sure. You know, I, I think during this um, time of kind of coming back to God, I just realized that work is not an end unto itself. Work is a means to an end. And if work isn't being used as a, um, a way to further my, my uh, salvation and is a way to help me get to heaven, then it's being misused. And, and nowadays, and I experienced this firsthand. You know, I looked at work as a means of validation, as a way for me to prove myself to others. It's kind of the the way that I got my kick, in a sense. You know, every time right. I got a bonus or a promotion or that gold star, it was kind of that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd drive home with a smile on my face because that's what it was all about. You know, it was the rat race. And, you know, we think, you know, as Catholics, that 
perfectly okay because our vocation is to marriage and we're called to work and you know, I'm just working, putting food on the table, and that's what we're called to do. But it's so much more than that. It's turning our work into a prayer. It's turning our, um, our, our work into just a, you know, a means to an end. And, um, you know, we, we very much lose sight of that. And, look, even in my travels with, uh, with my uh, corporate job, mm-hmm. I was traveling overseas 50% of the time. and. Wow. I knew at some point that was going to have to come to an end because I couldn't be the, the, the Catholic husband to my wife and the Catholic father to my children if I was gone 50% of the time, Right. period. Even if that meant I could be the vice president at 30 uh, of a company or the CEO, even if it, if it meant that I was sacrificing a lot of these great positions, um, if it meant that I was putting my own soul in danger or those of my family in danger, it just wasn't worth it. And so, you know, uh, I've made the, the conscious decision to downsize my life. You know, the, the uh, car that I drive is seven years old now, and, and uh, you know, the, you know I, the, the place where we live is a lot smaller than the first house that I bought. You know, mm. it's, it's just a conscious decision to, to enable me to spend more time with my family by requiring less income to, to pay for them, you know? Right. Uh, you know, the so other reality, too, is just from a mere financial perspective is we often, you know, live beyond our means and as a result we become slaves to that salary level how freeing it would be to live you know within your means let's say even below your means you're now no longer a slave you're not forced to have to compete in that on that on that level so if the world changes and something happens you know or you choose that you you shouldn't be in that environment anymore you now have given yourself as being a good steward of that which god gives us the freedom to uh, to now change change you know and that not have to seek out after that huge salary to continue this keep this big rubber band ball going you know it's just it's just keeps building and building and too many times we use our finances incorrectly we're not good stewards you know we're, we become slaves to that salary you know and we have to make that much money because if I don't well I've got so much debt I'm going to go under you know that's a yet another way that God gets us and you know as men we we put that burden on us and we have to make that happen we have to find a way to, to get all this done and it just becomes this surmounting pressure upon us that at some point it's going to bust right and you know the, the other thing that I think is important to know and me a long time to figure out that one human being, just one human being is more valuable to God than all of the world's riches combined, you mm. know? And yeah. we need to look at, uh, when we look at validation at, at our own self-worth, I think guys are always constantly concerned about their self-worth. What have they done in life? You know, and, you know, they're 40 years old, either they're going through a midlife crisis or, you know, even in this book, the, the idea the concept of a quarter life crisis what is it that's that's going to make me fulfilled and validated and and this and that and quite frankly we just need to look at our own lives as being a miracle unto itself as a miracle to god as is you know this this um fantastic jewel in the eyes of god i am this great jewel to god you know and when we when we look at it in those terms what more should we want out of work I mean, mm. really, we, what we should be focused on is returning back to the one who created us. That right. is the, you know, the primary goal. And, you know, going back to the, this whole idea of, of downsizing, I mean, quite frankly, the less that we have, the closer we are to God. And I think for anybody who's ever been in a position of financial strain 
or um, you know counting on God for that next paycheck um, or you know praying for the next meal that you're going to eat. Mm-hmm. You realize that it is in those times that you are closest to God. It's not in the times when you're you're feasting every day and you have a right. boat and a yacht and all these great things. Right. You know, it's you know you're down in Houston and it's like the Joel Osteen prosperity gospel <laughs> mindset. That, Gosh, I have all these great things because God loves me. No, look, if you got a lot of material prosperity, a lot of wealth, then you have a great, great burden, right. and that burden is you know. It's something that you have to think about, not only in terms of your soul mm. and how close you are to God, but in terms of what you are doing with those great material benefits. You know, um, who much is given, much is expected. Exactly, and you know how sad. You know, last summer, uh, we my grandmother passed away, and that was hard. It was a very hard time. But after the funeral and all that, we had to go through her stuff, and it really hit home. This this was. These were objects without context now. The context was her. And without her, they were just simply things. Things that took up room, took up space, that that just that had to be dealt with now. So, you know, it just really helped to make me realize that we hoard things in life, you know. And they have, they're just things. At the end of the day, when we die... These are just things. They're just objects. They have zero context. And how sad that is, actually. It really was pretty sad to have to go through that. And um, and that's kind of what we do to ourselves every day. It's it's amazing what we refuse to even throw in the trash. Simple things. Yeah. But someone's going to throw that in the trash, and it'll have to be after we die. They're going to have to go through that and just toss it. It didn't have any context. It still doesn't today. You know, but we're, you know, our own selfish behavior doesn't allow us to uh, to see that. <clears throat> we can't overcome that. So... That's uh, that's something I think that's very profound. And when you talked about you know downsizing, that's something we should all realize. You know, there's there's value to that. We give ourselves freedom by doing such things. We come closer to God, not further apart. So if there's if there is one thing that we should hoard, and I think very few people do enough of, the one thing that we should hoard is good Catholic books. Yeah, <laughs> it's rare that I go into someone's house and I see a collection of more than like twenty books, and they're all like Danielle Steele, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> Grisham it, novels or something. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> if, if we had, if we built up a library of good Catholic books, and there's so many out there, and you can get them, right. you can buy so many great books used, right. you know, on on the internet for like a dollar. Pick right. up all all types of books by Chesterton and, and others. Um, if we had that, then we would never want for truth. Right. Because it would be readily accessible to us. Absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing. When you, when you start to read and you really can't get enough of it, it's just, it feels so much more satisfying than watching TV, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's just hard, you know, you know I, I'm guilty of this still today. If I've had a long day at work and I'm stressed out, I want my mind to be mush, you know? And when you have little kids, it becomes harder to have that time to read. <laughs> You know, but we, my wife and I are striving to, to do less of the television and, and ultimately, you know, get rid of it and, and you know, just maybe have a, a movie night, family night kind of a thing. But, but if you take, if you just, it's amazing what we accomplish when we set our minds to it. On the job, for example, we put our minds to a task, we accomplish the task. If we just took that same attitude and ability to manage projects and applied it to our faith life, we say, well, uh, the task, the, the, the accomplishment here is I read a book by G.K. Chesterton. Well, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, this, you'd prioritize your time so that every opportunity you have to do it, you 
you work towards that goal. It's amazing what you'll accomplish. If you know, but too often we don't take that same effort and attitude and p- apply it to our personal lives, and so we waste so much time. We just waste a lot of time, you know, that um, we could be using to build up our faith. So, and I really loved how you closed out chapter twelve. Faith is a choice, not a matter of emotion. This gets twisted in the overly dramatic, slayed by the spirit, fall on the floor conversion stories. <laughs> I really like that. That's uh, that's very true. We have to choose. We have to choose this. God is not going to make slaves out of us. He's not going to force us to love him. He loves us enough to let us go to hell if that's what we choose. So we have to choose faith. But the good thing is if we make the choice, God commits himself to helping us along the way. And I think it's analogous even to uh, a... a uh, a relationship, you know, with my, I look at my wife, for example, the first two weeks, I mean, I was just head over heels for her, you know, just totally in love with this woman. Uh, and I couldn't stop thinking about her. And, you know, the, the emotions start taking over at that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that we've been, you know, married almost two years, you know, you, you realize through maturity that love is about a whole lot more than emotion. Love is a choice. You choose to love your wife. You choose to make sacrifices for him or her. And, um, well, I guess in the case of a wife, it's a her, but, you know, for your husband <laughs> or, or for your wife. And uh, it's the same thing in our love for God. You know, it's, it's not just this emotional bliss where we're just, like, totally slayed on the floor with, with our love for God. No, love, is, love for God is just, just as much a choice. We have to make the same sacrifices. We have to work at it. There is work involved. And, you know, that is the challenge that, that I lay out to, to other men, um, that, you know, you, you really have to work for it. Absolutely. My, my my daughter was busting in. Sorry about that. Um, absolutely. You know, and that's and that's something that I think, again, that I try to encourage every day on my own podcast is working towards that goal, trying, making the choice every day, despite the fact that the day before you got punched in the gut and you fell down, get back up, keep trying, keep making the choice. It's a every single day commitment you know too often we hear in protestant circles if you just accept jesus as your personal lord and savior then then you're all done well no you have to accept him every day you know (laughs) you wake up every day and you accept him every day you go to mass you accept him you say amen and then you put him on your tongue i mean that's that's the way that is now taking us into the last chapter you named it the beginning it's sort of anticlimactic. We're waiting to hear this great story of how, you know, you, you made it onto The Apprentice. You, you were, you know, going to be famous. You, you know, you, you've sort of just made it in life. You've got your faith all figured out, your professional figured out. What? There's still more to come? I mean, you're, you're going off into the sunset? Well, how does this work? <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in the final chapter, really, uh, it's, it's brief. It's about five pages, and I, I just tie the book together. I call it the beginning because now that I have been through this, you know, reversion, conversion, whatever you want to call it, now I am ready to face the world. Now I have uh, put myself in a position where I am prepared because of my faith, because of my commitment to God, I am ready to face the secular world, um, you know, prepared. And that's why I entitled the chapter The Beginning, and you know, I don't go into a whole lot of detail about The Apprentice. I don't go into a whole lot of detail uh, even about you know, my, my marriage or, or anything like that, because the point of the book is dealing with bachelorhood, dealing right. with being single, dealing with your mid-20s, and dealing with uh, how to right the ship, you know, right. how to get that ship 
pointed towards the lighthouse and and not you know just destroyed by by the storms of the ocean you know mm. and um by the end of the book i have arri- i feel like i have arrived at that point and now it's kind of like you know the rest is easy you know if if everything that you're doing is focused on your salvation focused on death then the rest is easy it's answering the question what do you really want when you really want heaven if that's what you really want then you know there is no difficulty in in you know, making decisions. There is no difficulty in, in knowing what the right answer is. There is mm-hmm. no, you know, major difficulty in, in finding the right partner. You know, you know what it is that you want. And um, I would say that in today's day and age, that's the most difficult thing, knowing what you want. And then, you know, getting it is is the easy part. It's it's just, right. you know, once you figure out what you want, then you just need to man up and, and uh, do what it takes. Wow. You know, and I actually, I'm glad you didn't write a whole lot about The Apprentice. I mean, that that's not what you're about. It's not what what value you bring. And and so I felt that this book was therapeutic for, for me personally because of the experiences that I've gone through in life and in my 20s. And, and, and it was very similar to that. And I think that guys are going to get that out of this book. And I really think they're going to enjoy this book. It reads very quickly. The pace is great. It's It's very involving those narratives in there really engage us into those discussions and help us to to see um what the point of those conversations were i love the details that you put in like you said about the club and the rap music in the background you know the girls repeating the the songs the 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 thumping the sweatiness the hotness i love the you're sitting there and the tv's going in you're being distracted by the oscars and then this guy's talking about sports i love those details that's what makes this book stand out with other books written uh of similar um, conversion like experiences or you know those kinds of things life experiences I think this book is going to resonate with guys like us and I beyond that I think women are going to find this book refreshing you know m- women love to see men stand up and and become real men and to speak frankly and honestly about their life and and what it means because women want to be um, they want to be what they're naturally created to be. And they want men to be what they're naturally created to be. Everybody wants this in their heart, but not everybody is courageous enough to talk about it. And and that's really the difference here. So I have really appreciated this book, and I want to thank you for sharing it with me. Oh, you know, my pleasure, Joe. And, and thank you for all your fantastic feedback. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's just been a real joy. And, you know, uh, I would just encourage anyone listening to uh, to check it out. I mean, go to my website, buygutcheck.com, B-U-Y, gutcheck.com. Um, on the website, it's free shipping, uh, no taxes, signed copies. You know, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for, uh, for people to pick up the book. And i uh, love to get your feedback. I, I read all of my emails and uh, love to hear from you. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, well, on the website, there's a contact form, and anyone uh, – who goes to buygutcheck.com can shoot me a note, and uh, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And for those that are um, interested in uh, having me come and speak, I've been doing a lot of speaking, as I mentioned, Joe, and uh, there's a fantastic Catholic Speakers Bureau that has just been doing amazing things. It's CMG Booking, and uh, the website cmgbooking.com. And uh, there's 33 great Catholic speakers, uh, Ray Garendi, uh, former Miss America, Angela Baracchio, Alan Keyes, just some of the, the, the most well-known Catholic speakers around. And, mm. uh, you know, it's just a, a great 
one-stop shop for event coordinators to find uh, good Catholic speakers. And, uh, and the best part is it's free of charge. I mean, you, you don't pay for it. You know, it's, uh, it, for me, I, um, I pay commission to uh, Joe Condit, who runs the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, great because it's, it's hands-off for me. I don't have to worry about travel arrangements or yeah like that. And uh, it, it's really the premier, the first Catholic Speakers Bureau out there. And it's just, they're just doing amazing things. Now, what kind of talks do you give? Like, who are your, who are your audiences? I would say in general I speak to high school audiences, college audiences, and men's groups. I would say that those are the three biggest. I've uh, done business uh, uh, speeches before in the past as well, but I really enjoy um, speaking to high school, college, and men's groups. And, and matter of fact, I have two very big speaking engagements coming up. Uh, on March 1st, the Cincinnati Catholic Men's Conference is – uh, about 3,500 men go to that, and then um, I'm also the keynote speaker at the Boston Catholic Men's Conference wow. in April, which is about 10,000 men being held at Conti Forum. So just very, very excited about the opportunity and really the, the blessing and the privilege to, uh, to be able to share my story and, and share my thoughts with other men. And it's a, quite frankly, it's a huge responsibility because mm-hmm. I know that whatever it is I do say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for in the eyes of God. Praise God. That's fantastic. I, I've missed the Boston Conference so much. I've really enjoyed going to that. I've been to that a few times, but when we moved, I, I wasn't able to get back. And the men's group that, that I belong to who is trying to get this men's conference going here in Houston um, is actually contemplating sending a few guys up to Cincinnati uh, to to see their conference and to bring back you know some of the good things that happened there and use those as models for our own conference. So it'll be it'll be pretty great to to get their feedback on your talk because I've sort of touted you so much in our group and that's another reason why I want to try to work to get you down to our parish and to be able to meet the, the my band of brothers and and um, and let them see you firsthand and hear your message because I think it's a very positive one and one that I've been promoting on the podcast quite a bit. It's um, it's one that's going to help change lives and that's what we all have to do. It's you know taking our witness and, and using it for God's glory. So. I applaud you for that, and furthermore, I'm praying for you for that. Thank you, Joe. I, I really need your prayers. Well, Tarek, God bless you. Thank you for letting me spend two hours of your morning away from your wife and uh, <laughs> letting me go being very nitpicky over your book and going through you know, almost every chapter. I'm sure you're not going to get that with most interviews, and you've been very, you know, uh, a lot, very good at allowing me to do that. So thank you very much. Well, it's been my pleasure, Joe, anytime. God bless you. Well, there you have it. Gut Check. Please stop by the blog and pick up your copy of Gut Check. Read that book, and I'd love to hear from you about what you thought about Tarek's new book, Gut Check. The blog is www.catholichack.com. You can see the banner at the very top, or you can stop by his site at buygutcheck.com and pick up your copy. It's also available at Amazon, so check that out today. You know, I was very blessed this week. There is a great Catholic musical artist. His name is Michael John Poirier. This man travels in an RV around the country with his family, his wife and his kids. They homeschool. And his ministry is a real blessing. He gives holy hours where he plays in front of the monstrance 
and he it's just beautiful spirit-filled music and I was able to hang out with him he came to to the parish he comes every year and he did a holy hour and he came to that man as you on Tuesday morning and we went to breakfast after and we spent a good portion of the day together and he is allowing me to help him with his ministry and his website uh, for a new endeavor he's working but you can check out his website at holyfamilynow.org I really want to uh, to tell you about him because his music is truly inspiring I really love it and I'm going to have him on the podcast he's going to be a guest so please look for that in the future you know this week also we received uh, several new uh, iTunes reviews and I cannot thank you enough for that it's been uh, a real blessing Davini uh, left a review just today and then there's Dream Browser and then there's Cassidy and, and Havak Man and, and Lewis1049 and Gabby Yabby Yabby uh, she's the one who's uh, won the t-shirt the Catholic Hack t-shirt uh, a couple of months ago and gave that to her husband and her husband's picture is on the blog at www.catholichack.com Speaking of t-shirts, I have yet to receive a voicemail for the t-shirt giveaway. Please send me uh, a voicemail feedback. If you call me right now and uh, tell me why it is that our Catholic Bibles have more books than the Protestant Bibles. Did the Catholics add Bibles or did the Protestants take them away? I want to hear from you. And if you'll do that, if you'll call me right now, uh, then I will give you a Catholic Hack t-shirt. That's right. I'll give it to you free. Shipping included the whole nine. All you got to do is call and leave me a voicemail, 713-568-6277, 713-568-6277. So please do that today. I've got another great juicy idea for more Catholic Hack t-shirt giveaways, but I want to start with this one first. This is a blessing to be able to give this to you. It was a donation from a listener on this podcast, so I would really be honored if you'd call me today and, and tell me how it is the Catholics have more books in their Bibles than the Protestants. You know, this week I heard from Michael Cassidy, he's a, a new listener to the podcast, and you know, he was asking me about the music in this podcast. You know, and I get asked that question quite a bit. Uh, people want to know where do I get that rap song? Where does that rap song come from? You know, that comes from Father Stan Fortuna. That's right. He's a priest. He's a phenomenal priest. He has a wonderful uh, musical talent. And although I don't really listen to rap music, I was always inspired by that particular song. It's all about adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. So it really touched me. And it has high energy, high impact, uh, you know, tone to it. It's very energetic. And so I thought it was perfect to gear us up and, and encourage us to, to always be ready to give an explanation for the hope that lies within us. Where is that source? Where is that summit? Where does it all come from? It comes from adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Jesus Christ, truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, right there in the Blessed Sacrament. There is no more personal relationship with Christ than to receive Him in the sacrament. And that's what that song really, really brings to me. And that's what I want to bring to you. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. And I pray that God richly bless you. God bless. SQPN, the best in Catholic podcasting.